If you're ready to unlock your potential to transform the world around you, then join us here on the Love and Leadership Podcast as we dive into the art of leadership, exploring cutting-edge strategies and timeless wisdom, empowering you to become the exceptional leader you were born to be. You'll learn from inspiring interviews with visionaries, changemakers, and thought leaders who give us practical and actionable real-life leadership strategies, and we'll celebrate authenticity and empathy because leadership is about connecting with others on a profound level. So if you're ready to transform your leadership journey, don't miss a single episode of the Love and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe today for access to a wealth of wisdom, inspiration, and actionable strategies. Let's redefine leadership and create a world where every leader leads with love, passion, and purpose. This podcast is proudly supported by the College of St. Mary, dedicated to uncovering the essence of exceptional leadership for today's world and beyond. Enrich your leadership journey alongside a cohort of industry experts through the Master of Science in Organizational Leadership Program at CSM. Crafted to suit your schedule, this online degree can be yours in just 12 months. Are you prepared to soar in your career? Take the leap forward with the College of St. Mary, shaping leaders for tomorrow. Explore your potential today and learn more at csm.edu msol. Welcome to the Love and Leadership Podcast, where we bring you interviews with extraordinary leaders who are changing the world. I'm Dr. Beth Merkel, your Love and Leadership Podcast host, and today we're honored to welcome Mr. Rich Batchelor to the show. And Rich is a seasoned change management professional with a remarkable 30-year track record of success. He's currently serving as the president of the Global Association of Change Management Professionals, the ACMP, of which I am a proud member. And he's a driving force in delivering transformative change for organizations across the world. He's the visionary behind the Toronto Change Days Conference and a certified Lego serious play facilitator and workshop designer. And I'm Absolutely going to need to hear more about that. Rich offers a wealth of knowledge to disrupt traditional thinking about change and leadership. So join us for a dynamic conversation as Rich shares his insights, humor, and passion for cultivating a culture of curiosity and positive change. Thank you so much for joining us on the Loving Leadership Podcast, Mr. Rich Batchelor. Thank you so very much. An absolute pleasure to be here and be prepared for what I'm about to share. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I I don't know if we can be now. This is exciting stuff. This is wonderful. I'm hoping you'll open with a little um, tidbit about what it means to be a certified Lego serious play facilitator. What is what is that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, you mentioned in my my introduction that I'm always keen to to push the boundaries, push the edge in terms of how we can learn, how we can experience change in leadership. And Lego was something that is not just a, a kid's toy, but it's also something that can be used to develop thinking through your fingers. Really, it's and that's as much as it comes down to. We often get caught up in learning and development activities that focus on audiovisual activities, text on a page, all this stuff. But I love the fact that Lego allows you to translate that into a physical 3D form that you can actually feel and touch as you're doing it. And without getting into the whole newer science behind it all, it's been proven many times over that that's an additional way of helping people to learn is to get people to feel and touch and do things as they go through it. So um, I've been doing this for approximately, mm, gosh, 20 plus years in some shape or form. And uh, I love doing the the activity that gets people having some fun, taps into that inner curiosity of childlike quality and uh, brings to the surface a whole range of uh, kinesthetic focused activities. Absolutely wonderful. How exciting because we, we just don't play enough. We don't and play sure. unleashes so much creativity. And um, in my opinion, and I 
I believe you share this, that creativity is really at the core of successful change facilitation, change management, change leadership, um, and problem solving. So that's exciting. Um, I hope to experience that with you sometime and our listeners will all be Googling that uh, after the show, I'm sure. Absolutely. (laughs) But let's start with some context. I'm big on let's all get on the same page with what we're talking about before we move on in a conversation. So change is such an ambiguous term. And uh, so let's talk about what it actually means. What does organizational change mean to you with all of your 30 years of global experience? Yeah, sure. So it's it's such a fascinating term, organizational change. Um, yeah. Because it's not the only change as well. I, I find we, we kind of fall into this um, default of referring to organizational change equals change in an organization. And we kind of just go, yeah, okay, so we're doing some change in an organization. But we have to think that we're doing, well, strategic level change in an organization, right the way down to something maybe tactical in an organization and all spaces in between. And yeah. we we need to kind of get away from getting caught up in these labels of what these things are. Effectively, what we're doing is we're helping people to travel from where they currently are to where they need to be to realize their own potential and that of the organization they're part of. And for me, when we're talking about change, we're identifying what that experience, what that journey is. And, you know, without, you know, and, you know, ACMP Association of Change Management, the two words in the middle of the, the, the label of it, and yet, Change management is not the only thing that we're talking about in terms of change. We're talking about change leadership, change enablement, change facilitation, change dot, dot, dot. You know, there's many other words that you can put beside it that all come together to create the ecosystem that enables change to take place within an organization and the people experiencing that. So for me, when we talk about change, organizational change, enterprise change, even another term that gets used quite a lot as well. We're talking about the navigation of a journey for people and taking them on that journey from where they were to where they need to be, where they should be, where they could be even in some cases. And sometimes it's not a smooth journey. I'm a big advocate of Bill Bridges' transition model and the work that he did on saying, you know, you need to let go before you can actually embrace the new. And I think that's part of what we do in our journey is helping people to not just let go of the old, but also embrace the new and take them through that journey pathway in the the change space. So there's a lot of pieces in my response there, but as you could probably tell, it's an area I'm extremely passionate about and could talk for days, never mind the short window we have here today on this topic. And that's why you make a great guest for this show. What I noticed as you were talking, Rich, is um, the question was organizational change. What is organizational change to you? And you might have mentioned the organization once or twice, but you mentioned the people many, many times. So um, what I'm hearing you say is, yeah, the organization will change, but it's really about the people and their journey, their needs, how to help them change, how to see the joy and the benefit in the change. And, you know, what happens if they're not ready for change? If, if that's not something that somebody, I mean, you know, people yeah. are afraid. People are yeah. deeply afraid of change. How do, how do we overcome that? Or do we? Well, I think that's an interesting piece because I think that's where I've seen the the change-related profession, change management profession, change leadership, etc., over the last 10 years really make a difference in organizations and entities across the world. Because historically, we've had this situation where it doesn't matter whether you're ready or not, we're making the change. We do, we're going to yeah. do it. It's like, you know, suck it up. We're doing it. You know, if you don't yeah, like that's... it, there's an exit door there for you. You know, almost that sort of principle coming into the place. 
on people of Yeah, and we're doing it by life. this date. <laughs> you yeah. know, whether yeah. you're ready or not. End of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so I think it's interesting that we've been able to pause for thought on that piece and say, actually, your most valuable asset are your people. And for me, people are what makes any organization tick, what gives it its driving force, its energy, etc. And we've suddenly realized over the last 10 years that we need to invest in those people, those individuals, for the greater performance of that organization they are part of. And that means that we now look at whether an organization and its people are ready for a change or whether we are saying to folks, you know, actually, we've got a bit of work to do here before we can make a change happen. Because if we yeah. just go ahead, this change may technically happen, but may not be adopted by the people in the organization. And we're going to have a very expensive ornament on our hands that nobody knows how to yeah. use, do or anything and just look at and go, yay, we now have a blue button on our computer or whatever it may be, whatever that means mm -hmm. to folks. So I see a lot more investment in that. And, you know, all the work that was triggered really with um, pandemic lockdowns and all the sort of restrictions that happened throughout that period in time also prompted people to recognize that part of that is about personal health, wellness and resilience building because yeah. an organization that has people with a strong level of resilience and kind of harmless, I suppose, is a way of looking at it, are more ready to do change when it comes their way than an organization that is constantly in panic mode and looks like maybe the the chicken farmer has decided he's going to look at what's for tea tonight or whatever, you know, that sort of piece and everything. So, you know, there's a little bit of a difference in that sort of approach. So, um, you know, I, I love the fact, and this is where I kind of put my, my ACMP hat on here. And I'll be honest, I, I may do this a couple of times as we go through the conversation as well, but with the association standard for change management, it says, let's start by looking at, organizational readiness is the organization ready for this change because yeah. all successful change depends on making sure that folks are ready for the change that's coming their way before they can actually take that forward and that is so often the piece that is ignored um if, if there's a need everyone must be ready you know uh, without recognizing the level of identity people have in what they're doing right now and their feelings of, uh, you know, perhaps loss or uh, even grief uh, over yeah. a change, depending on how extreme the change is. That's one of the many things that drew me to the uh, ACMP uh, organization. Uh, first of all, the dynamic people involved. Oh, my goodness. It, every meeting is fun <laughs> and, and yeah. challenging in, in all the best ways but that it is so people-centered, whereas other uh, change organizations focus more on process and uh, outcomes. And that, well, process and outcomes are very important, but you've got to start with the, the people themselves, as I, I will say in ad nauseum, as part of the love and leadership mission and, and mantra. But... So I am um, recently became the president of the forming chapter. It's brand new uh, chapter in the U.S. Uh, it's called the Great Plains Chapter. And so we have put together a, a petition to cover five, five states. That's what we're, uh, we're hoping yeah. for. So North Dakota, South Dakota, I have to think about this, Nebraska, Kansas, and Missouri. Um, so it's, it's a really broad geographic area yeah. with a lot of, um, believe it or not, a lot of difference in culture. But the question yeah. that comes up again and again, and especially when I, I told uh, the group that I'm interviewing Rich Bachelor, they're like, oh, and the questions just started pouring in. So all of these questions are from 
change managers themselves. And it was the easiest script I ever put together. It was like, okay, <laughs> what do you want to know? Um, but the big question across all of these regions, and I'm sure others, is how do we make a case for the need for bringing in a change management professional, right? Um, I see it again and again. Organizations want to change. They put together a plan. They put together a timeline. They get the the money that they need. And maybe an afternoon with a change workshop kind of a thing. Check. We did the change management. That's not what ACMP talks about. That's not what we're about. And that's not sustainable. So how do we make the case as change management professionals to the people who make the decisions, to the people with the pocketbooks that say, hey, we've got to invest time. We've got to invest resources. We've got to stop looking at outcomes before we look at people because that often falls on deaf ears. How do we make that make sense? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something that you know, I have my my short answer, my long answer, and I'll probably try and blend between the two of them for for today's purposes. Um, but my short answer is actually quite straightforward. When we're talking with leadership, and I refer to leadership as being the people in charge of an organisation, even though we both know that leadership is a behaviour, not a title, and all of that sort of piece. But for this purpose, mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Um, you know, the leadership maybe put the the in front of it to talk to point that in the direction I'm referring. Um but yeah. there's two elements of that conversation. One is what's your highest value line item in your monthly or yearly accounts? I'll guarantee you ninety-nine percent of the time it's salaries. Salaries mm. is always the largest cost item that everybody has in any company. So my viewpoint is to have the conversation that says, so if you're spending that much, don't you think you should be investing in getting the best return on that amount of spend? Don't you think you should be looking at a way to actually get the maximum benefit from actually how much you're spending on that salary cost piece? Now, interestingly, that cost piece is about your people and how well they perform in the organization. And you've put a value on how well people can perform. As change management professionals, what we are endeavoring to do with your assistance, and I say with, not to you, we never do change to people, we always do change with people, that what we're looking for, what we're looking for here is to support individuals in maintaining the highest level of performance, production, impact on your organization throughout any other blips, disruptions, or changes that may come along. And when we focus on keeping those wheels turning at the same level, then you are getting a benefit from this financially. Then you are getting a benefit from this reputationally. And what you're also doing is you're becoming an employer of choice for future hiring. So you're becoming somebody that people talk about in terms of, oh, they invest in their people. They want to do the best with their people. They want to do what's best for those people. So that's my kind of um, emotional, psychological piece of positioning, I suppose, in terms of trying to tap into the leadership's need to get the best money back for whatever they're investing in and also recognize that it's about reputational management and PR and that change management just happens to be a vehicle for doing that stuff. The other side of it and the other pieces that we'll do if I'm given time, and and I mentioned Bill Bridges earlier on as well, um, and I'm a great lover of his particular model, the transition model, um, is I will sometimes get... uh, an activity, a five-minute activity done with leadership, where I will pull up a graphic representation of his model and explain some pieces to them. And I'll get the, the individual members of that leadership team to just take a moment, take a Sharpie or marker pen, and draw a line across this image that shows the typical journey they went through the last time they dealt with change. And we'll just spend two, three minutes doing that. And then I'll get them to reflect back on what they've just drawn. 
because I guarantee you it won't all be small, quick, short, little straight lines in a corner. It'll all be messy, twirly, whatever it is lines. And I say, you've just drawn a representation of how your organization navigates change. Wouldn't you like to have a bit more structure and order to those journeys for people? Wouldn't you like to have a feel where people can go through that journey in the least amount of time with the least amount of twiddles, twirls and whatever else they've drawn in that piece and be close together and consistent as they're doing it? That's what change managers bring yeah. to the table is the ability to do that. Don't get caught up in just because we're people focused that we don't have structure and discipline in the way we approach things. It's too easy for people to look at us and go, yeah, yeah, you just do the fluffy stuff, don't you, people? You know, you're going to come along and make people feel good about themselves and all that sort of stuff. It's like, well, yeah, we'd like to do that, but we do it in a structured approach. And it's not about just coming along and holding hands in the situation as well. So a lot of stuff, sorry, and I could go on on that piece because it's something I'm really passionate again about in doing that stuff. But I also just think we need to have more conversations with various senior decision makers in, in organizations across the world, to mm -hmm. be honest with you, because a lot of organizations still don't know that change management exists. And the more we can get people to understand we exist, that's also going to be something that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... Interesting that you kind of, I'm hearing you frame change management as this, um, I don't know, lubricant in the process, if you will, you know, I mean, a well-oiled machine, right? Um, and everything goes smoothly and there are fewer breakdowns and therefore more productivity in the end. Um, it might cost a little bit more upfront, but the long-term and I, gosh, that's one of my biggest obstacles is getting uh, this um, mindset that it a long-term mindset instead of just, yeah. well, we have to have this done and KPIs reported by the next, uh, you know, stakeholders meeting or the board meeting. Um, this is going to, you know, when I'm presenting a three to five year change management plan and they're like, okay, but what can you do for us in the next quarter, right? Well, we can get started. Um, but I love the way you just bring this practical sense that with patience and persistence, that the payoff is much greater in the long run. And I am going to go out of my wheelhouse. I don't know if you have anything to, to say about this, but um, I imagine it would make a generational difference, right? With the young professionals coming up who are really looking for those organizations that do take care of their people. And you touched on that with the uh, with the reputation, with the, the, the PR that an organization will put out when they do take this kind of time. And yes, we all talk and yes, we all post on um, our different social media outlets. So, um, I think it's also important to note that we can't do things the way we did, you know, 20, 50 years ago and expect it to work now and 20 and 50 years from now. Yeah, I was going to say um, to, to that piece that you mentioned, I think this is something that we we need to recognize, you know, the profession of change management, etc., is relatively new as a profession. We have a young profession. You know, like the, the ACMP has only been in existence since 2011 officially. You know, yes, maybe, you know, I, I did my master's in change management back in 2004 to six sort of stuff. So, you know, and that was like kind of revolutionary at that time to have these sort of facilities available. So we really are only looking at a profession that's been active and visible probably for about 20 or so years. So we need to be setting those foundation stones for future generations to go forward and i think we do owe that to organizations to help them understand that this is not quick fix territory this is a bit of a long term but it's pain today for gain tomorrow and by golly can you have some gains tomorrow if you do it right oh yes it's that that long range higher 
return mentality that I I think um, I hope we're starting yeah. to uh, move toward as a, a global society for sure. Um, yeah. So that this brings us to an interesting point brought up by uh, one of the ACMP members, and um, gosh, I'm I'm going through my notes here uh, pretty quickly because we're covering so much so quickly. Um, but what argument would you make between, um, or would you, uh, okay, between <laughs> in-house change management, so I'm, I'm managing all these notes and, and, and it's all, and then my own brain, which is oh, going good. about a hundred miles a minute. So, um, between in-house change management, like should an organization consider bringing, developing their own change management um, team? And if so, where is it housed or is it best to rely on those um, contract and a more uh, fluid type of change management uh, personnel? Yeah, the, the, I don't know what what number do I put at the front of it? Ten million dollar question, hundred million. I don't know. <laughs> it's like you know that sort of value piece is like you know where do we have change management in an organisation? Do we import? Do we have it present? Do we have a dedicated entity? Do we disperse it across the organisation? You know how does it work? What are the best things? And it comes down to I think a number of different pieces. First of all, it's the size of the organisation. Let's be realistic. Yeah. If you are a small organization, you need to be mindful of where you place value in terms of long-term resources. And probably an organization of less than 100 people is going to really struggle to have a dedicated in-house change management person just because they, the level of activity for that person may not justify that piece. But as you get into several hundreds and beyond, you have the potential to validate the, the activity levels that would warrant um, dedicated people. Now, then you get to the question, okay, so if this is a dedicated resource that we need, do we go out and buy it or do we build it inside? And where do we fit that in? And it, it's an interesting conundrum. And myself personally, I'm probably more of an advocate for in-house development supplemented by external expertise. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, yeah. I, you know, from a professional point of view, I have I run my own consulting company and learning development side of things as well. And success for us is working with a company where we're no longer needed because we've built the capacity and the capability in that company to actually take things forward. And for me, that brings down to developing the the in-house presence for change uh, capability and um, change delivery. And I would say that you can build the, the delivery folks, but you also need to recognize that they may not know everything about a situation that's going on there. So I'm an advocate for building those individual presence pieces but then bringing in expertise specialism what i refer to as a true consultant rather than a contractor where the consultant is somebody who brings their own knowledge expertise that isn't currently present in the organization and can share that and enable the organization to take that forward so i think um that's where you pull upon external the other time you may pull upon external, I would say, is where you have a sudden shift that's quite quickly come about with an organization. Sometimes a merger and acquisition that's caused two organizations to quickly come together. A lot of people, a lot of activity. The in-house may not have the sufficient capacity. Very unlikely that it would. So you then need to bring in an external bundle of folks to do that stuff or other one-off things that are just going to kind of take your activity level to that peak bit moment. And while you're dealing with that peak piece, that's your time to bring in your, your externals. Um, yeah. 
But then all of these people have to be educated and learn about practice from externals typically. So that's when the externals can actually bring their um, space into play and everything. The third element of this is, okay, so we think there should be dedicated people in an organization. What part of the organizational structure does this sit under? We have this huge question. And Huge. it's like, well, you know, they, they deal with people. So we'll put them into HR or maybe we'll put them attached to learning and development in HR or, or something around that space. And then they go, but yeah, but they're delivering for projects. So shouldn't they be in the PMO or associated with the PMO piece and things like that? And, and this, those two elements seem to be the biggest sort of pulls, which way do they go under in that side? And then we get a few other little pieces that come in depending on the actual organization itself. Um, I'm personally a huge advocate for neither of those areas. I'm an advocate for them going under strategy and innovation. Because for me, strategy and innovation is an area that change has the umbrella, the overarching viewpoint of the organization from, rather than getting caught up in the transactional process of the project delivery, or what may be seen as the the people side performance competency frameworks solely and those being too much for now so for me i'm an advocate if there's anything like strategy innovation research and innovation that sort of space that's where i like the the change management presence to sit in because of the the viewpoint and the lens that they can look at the organization from and also it tends to be the most progressive part of the organization. And you mm. really need to have the support of the progressive part of the organization to make things happen. That makes really good sense. If change management is housed in the strategy and innovation area, um, where, wherever that lands in an organization, then um, that implies that change, change is always happening in an organization instead of we're changing right now and then we're going to go back to normal and now we're changing again and now we're going to go back to normal a healthy organization is always changing growing um learning adapting and if these professionals can be part of that team from the very uh inception of the need for change all the way through then i just Again, as you said, just see it as a high quality ingredient, if you will, yeah. in that um, change recipe. That's uh, I think that's an important understanding that changes the traditional uh, thought about um, which uh, which you promised to do. So <laughs> thank you for doing that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and. It, I, I see both sides of the in-house and external um, change management roles. You know, in-house uh, allows a change management professional to get to know the people, to get to know the organization, the mission, the resources, the culture, and work within that to uh, facilitate the change, to um, examine the change, to support the change, all of these things. But let's face it, sometimes, um, you know, uh, what is it, a prophet in their own country, uh, you know, is is never really appreciated. And so you can get to be, oh, that's just that's just Beth. She's worked here for five years. You know, she she always has an opinion. But I say, well, yes, but now we've got Rich Bachelor coming in, an external change person, and he's going to help us through this part of it there's a refocusing and a new energy yeah. that this that somebody from the outside can bring in. So I love that you said that there's a an important synergy between yeah. internal and external as long as your timing is good and the quality of the change manager is high. <laughs> yeah. Well that that is the other thing as well is I do feel that um and this is potentially a, a role for us as a profession going forward is being able to identify what 
what is a good quality change management person? How does somebody know mm-hmm. what confidence level can an organization have if they're going to hire somebody, whether it is external or into an internal position, you know, whether it be, you know, qualifications like the CCMP that the association does or other qualifications that are about mm-hmm. and out there. We want to make sure that people feel that there is that confidence that this is a good indicator that this person knows what they're talking about and isn't just going to be looking at Wikipedia every time you ask them a question or anything. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. YouTube and, and what have you. Although, you know, a good podcast every now and then can be very informative. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So that's interesting, and it brings us right to the next question, which um, when one of the uh, members of our chapter brought up, I mean, there was like a resounding like, yeah, yeah, I want to know that. We want to know that. And that is, we're talking about a high-quality change professional. As a change professional, um, if I am hoping to maintain my status as high-quality is it better to um, to be to, to dive deep into one model? Um, you know, say the the ACMP standard and just go deep into that and specialize into that, or you know, some of the others that are out there, ProSci or Agile or whatever. Um, or is it better to know a little bit about each one and have the breadth rather than the depth? They, uh, the group is so curious about that question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's an interesting piece, and I'll I'll do some positioning before I respond as well, just to kind of understand where right. my thinking comes from on this. So there are there are models, there are methodologies, and there are frameworks, and that's what I look at here. So we have models that may talk to a journey path. For instance, I mentioned Bill Bridges. We go back to the, you know, Lewin's original, the original um, change, you know, unfreeze, free freeze model. That's a model. So we've got models of change. Then we have methodologies of change, which maybe build on a particular model and say, this is how you can use that model to deliver change successfully. And we see things like, um, ProSci and Cotter coming into that stuff where ProSci builds on the ADCAR model to actually deliver the methodology. We have Cotter, John Cotter and Cotter International that build on his eight-step model. And again, that's where they start to bring in a methodology. And then we also have frameworks. And for me, I would say that ACMP is actually closer to a framework than necessarily a model of a methodology because it's giving you an outline of what to expect in terms of the journey through change rather than telling you this is what you do and this is what it looks like at each point in time it's more about posing questions and thoughts because then you can choose whatever model you are comfortable using whatever methodology you are comfortable with and it's one of the big things that brought me to acmp right back at the beginning when we were founding this stuff because Yes, I was there when we started this thing off as well. So I was like involved from the very beginning. Was that we we proud ourselves on being methodology agnostic. We don't say that one methodology is better than any other methodology. We say that, you know, you can use a single methodology that you're comfortable with regularly that may fit the types of change you are doing. And it will match the framework, the journey path we outline within the standard. And we'll highlight things that that methodology should be considering. But we also recognize that you may want to play a more pick and mix approach and say, actually, I really like model A, a methodology B for starting. Well, I kind of like to finish off with a bit of C and D. For me, and I I talk from somebody who's been doing this for way too long. Um, It's not way too long because I enjoy doing it so much. So it's not that bad. Um, But for me, I think it is better to have many, many approaches, whether they be models, methods, or frameworks in your toolbox, than get anchored to a single approach. And I'll explain why I say that. 
when we focus on one particular methodology, we tend to find that that methodology or approach is really good for certain types of change. Maybe it's an mm-hmm. IT implementation project. Maybe it's cultural shift. Maybe it's organizational restructures, whatever that, it really works. But then it's really difficult to make that flex to different types of change. And if we're going to look at working in other types of change, or maybe change is generated from an original change, then we need to have other things that we can pull upon that will build, complement, or move on to look at things in different ways. Because as taking it back to what we started with here, it's people. That's what we talk about here. And I'm not the same as you. I won't react to the change the same way as you. And I won't even react to each to multiple changes the same way. So for us to expect a single approach to formulate around every change that I experience is going to mean sometimes I'm going to feel really comfortable with it. But sometimes I'm also going to find it really, really difficult and challenged because it's not quite, you know, in the groove with me on that piece. So you need to be able to have that flex to go there. So for me, I think it's really good to maybe have, you know, one or two approaches that you know deeply, meaningfully, because it gives you that anchor for experience. But don't rely on just having those one or two in your toolbox. Look to broaden it out, even if it's a more shallow knowledge about other particular approaches, but it gives you that opportunity then to understand how you can flex to different change situations and how you can also sometimes explain to people why you're doing a particular activity. It's not just because it says, you know, part four, subsection three of this approach says (laughs) it's actually meaningful and saying, no, now we've had this engagement piece here. We now need to look at doing a stakeholder relationship mapping or whatever it may be that you are identifying at that point in time, because that's going to help. The way we're going to approach this is going to be using a bit of this and a bit of that, you know, whatever that sort of piece may be that you're looking at. Um, so so I suppose my quick answer is deep on one or two, don't just anchor yourself on one or two, broaden yourself out and make sure you have an understanding and recognize the difference between models, methodologies and frameworks in the way that you build your approaches as well. Mm. I'm a true believer in this flex approach that you're uh, talking about because um, as you said, it allows us to uh, modify and customize the change approach to the people, to the organization, to the time, to the department um, much more fluidly instead of trying to take a uh, you know square peg and stick it in a round hole and, and just keep hammering on it till it fits. Um, but we can say, okay, um, I, I can modify my approach to by choosing from this toolbox. It's one of my favorite words. I tell my students all the time, you know, put all these things in your toolbox and choose them um, accordingly because you have to get to know your people so that you can know which tools to pull out, right? And, And use effectively with them. And also from a very practical perspective, uh, we can spend incredible amounts of time and in innumerable uh, amounts of money getting certified in everything, you know, becoming an expert in everything. And it's just not necessary. We can be really good at certain things and by knowing self, which is the core of, of good leadership and good change management. We have to know this first, but then I can say, you know, well, I, um, I use the uh, ACMP standard as, um, as my framework and I'm, you know, CCMP, um, you know, certified change management professional and ADCAR, I've got this, but, you know, I can call in somebody if I feel like the Cotter approach is more important or more more appropriate to this particular, or it's more of, um, you know, a, a structured approach for an IT group. I can pull in that person. 
So I love that um, um, idea of knowing as much as possible, but really specializing in one or two areas. And that's where organizations like ACMP come in so um, handy, if you will. They're, they're so effective because in a group, we get to know all these people who have used yeah. all these different models over X number of years, over X number of industries, and we can bring our situation and to the group and pull yeah. from them to fill in the blanks. So I think it's a huge value that ACMP brings to the profession. Yeah, I think so. it's uh, it's really interesting, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier on when you were talking about you know connecting with ACMP people or connecting with change management people. We're kind of people people, so we really love to engage and share and really talk and learn from each other. And you know, I, I love the fact, and I've always loved the fact that I can meet anybody in the profession anywhere in the world. And very quickly, we'll start sharing more stories. Then we'll start also sharing, well, but have you tried using this thing? Have you seen that? And you start to share these knowledge pieces about these things. And like, did you know there was a canvas for this? I was the first, you know, whatever it may be. And you can see the excitement in people. And you go, oh, I didn't know that. And we just love to share and and you know, give each other the the opportunity to succeed. I think we're a very, very supportive community in that the change space. I agree with that. It's one of the, the with you. It's one of the many, many things that attracted me to the MACMP organization is this uh, uh, collaboration, this brainstorming. Like I said at the very beginning of our discussion, is you know, every time I'm with a group of change managers in particular, um, change management professionals, particularly ACMP uh, members, there's a synergy, there's an energy, there's a collaboration. And to me, that's really powerful for um, for unleashing this potential, for leading with love, for all these higher order uh, callings that I think many of us in leadership and um, change profession are, are led to. So, um, so that leads us to uh, a question, another question that was um, resounding across the membership. And um, they want to hear your stories. <laughs> they want to know what, uh, what good, bad, ugly stories, what sensational stories, what he's got to have stories to tell. We want to hear one. So do you have um, a change oh, management? some great stories I could share with you, but um, I think, so a little bit earlier on, you actually mentioned about the whole piece of, um, you know, people going through change, responses, reactions to change, and, you know, loss and fear and anxiety and all of that sort of experience. And I'm a huge advocate for, recognizing that in the journey for people both you know whether it's you know a highly emotive piece that pops from people or whether it's less emotive in terms of well you know good riddance i never liked that computer system anyway whatever it may be you know sometimes it comes into that sort of piece but um one of my most um i don't know whether we call it famous or infamous um uh, activities goes back oh gosh mid-2000s now it would have been and um i was working on creating a shared service center for um, many government agencies coming together they were going to share services on finance hr procurement you know some of those sort of pieces coming together but it was also at a time when they were moving away from paper to digital so yeah. they were going to be stopping the paper files that were rows and rows of things forevermore on that piece. And I'll be totally honest with you. We didn't do the best job helping them transition because we were so focused on moving people into the building and getting them up and running. We maybe didn't focus enough on how they did their job and how that was going to change, etc. So mm -hmm. when this, when the, the sort of day one of shared service center existed 
we were doing a bit of a observational walk around piece, just seeing how things were, etc. And we kind of were like, doesn't seem to be quite going what we thought. You know, people weren't on the computers as much. There was still a lot of paper going around and we were kind of going, well, maybe they just kind of still doing the transition of paper going on and they're updating cases or systems or stuff like that. Um, but we kind of checked back in a few times on this. And what we discovered was that the folks in the majority of the building were doing the new way on the technology but still also doing the old way at the same time. <laughs> so it was like, well, we'll do the new thing, but we're not letting go of the old thing either. <laughs> and we had a bit of a conversation about this and realized that we'd probably not done enough good work on helping them to let go of the old, you know, back to that Bridges model piece, I suppose. Um, so I had to do something a little bit radical to help them move things forward. So I created a funeral for the old way of doing things. This is what we did. Brilliant. We had, we had a full-scale funeral. And as part of that funeral, in the parking lot outside the building, I actually had three burning oil drums where people threw paper into and said goodbye. They physically and verbally said goodbye to the old way of doing things. Obviously, there was a lot of health and safety. I had to have emergency services to have, you know, that, that sort of piece. So this was not something we decided in an hour to do. It took me a few oh. days to get set up, etc. as well. Uh, a weekend, I think it was actually from the initial idea. But we had an opportunity for everybody to gather and say goodbye. And what was so fascinating with this was that it prompted emotions so much emotions to come flooding out because you had people going i remember when i sat here and i did this and i remember when i sat next to so and so and do you remember when this happened and all of these memories coming flooding back and you know it was one of those situations where i was able to give people a recognition of the past not being bad we weren't getting rid of it because it was bad. We were actually recognizing it for its power that it brought to enable the future to be where it was going. And people recognizing this piece, but also people having that emotional journey path as well. They actually were able to go through that piece. And, you know, it's, it's not something I've advocated for doing a lot of since with the fires, etc. But I do advocate <laughs> for funeral type things or wakes or things like that i always comment about projects always seem to be able to find the money for pizza parties when we go live on an it system but where's the money to actually say goodbye to the old where's the money to actually have a moment of doing that can't we just kind of split it a bit and do that because if you allow people the space and you know i encourage memory boards and all sorts of other things to come into that place but um but yes, the burning oil drums outside a new shared service centre and people getting emotional and hugging and all sorts of things is probably one of my most famous or infamous um, stories and experiences of what I encourage to take place. I love it. I love it. What you just described is so beautiful in that on the front end, people are embracing what at the time was the new technology, right? Um, and yet the need for this primal connection to yes. one another and emotion and you met both. And I, I love that's change management. <laughs> that's change management. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> Thank awesome. you so much for sharing that with us. And, um, as always, I could go on and on and on. This is a brilliant conversation. I'm having so much fun, but um, we are going to run out of time and attention here. So I want to turn it over to you specifically, Rich, and ask what do you have going on in your life? What is your latest project, your consulting services, anything at all that uh, you want to share with the Love and Leadership audience? Yeah, so 
So I'm one of those people, if you haven't already worked it out, that tends to put my finger in many, many pies. I'm yes. I'm one of those people that says yes to lots of things and then work out how to how to make it happen afterwards because I get excited by new things. But um, in 2024, there's probably so I'm going to say two things to share with folks that are key to me. One one from the professional side of things that I'll share to begin with which is um, from the company. So Capillary is the company that I run and my own company. And I've always been an advocate for doing things that enable people to learn. We have a learning side, we have a consulting side. And in the learning side, we have a lot of qualifications. And actually what's kind of a bit of a milestone for me is one of our qualifications is the certified change agent qualification. And we're actually celebrating 10 years of delivery over a thousand people through the program and the hundredth delivery of that this year. So that is kind of like a big milestone for us to be celebrating that. So, um, you congratulations. Know, that is a big milestone. That's wonderful. So I'm not a huge one for self-promotion, but I'm just so like in awe of so many people have enjoyed doing this program and love doing the stuff. I love the sharing of that stuff. So that's a huge milestone for us on a professional point of view in the, the company point of view. Um, but then also, I think the the other big thing for me is with the Association of Change Management Professionals. And, you know, I'm extremely honoured to be the president of that. And my my leadership, you know, we were talking about leadership here and how much I, I love leading that um, organisation. But I'm very much a servant leadership approach in that stuff. My role is to serve the membership, to serve the people that do whatever they do in that space. And as part of that, continuing to advocate for the growth of the association internationally through uh, events that are in person that we've managed to get some traction. We've got a great event coming up at the end of February in San Diego. We'll have future events in person and some virtual stuff. But having that opportunity now to look at in-person events in many geographies as we look to encourage a global footprint and recognize that the actual board makeup for the association right now is the most globally diverse it has ever been. We have people from across the world Time zones can be a little challenging on that front as well, <laughs> but it's a good challenge to have. So recognizing that as an association, we are becoming a global presence. And for me, that's a big piece, is how we continue to grow that, create fantastic events for people in lots of locations. And of course, like yourself in developing the Great Plains chapter for yourself, then we're also looking at how we might have further presences with further chapters across the world. And always supporting that because we know Change management folks like to talk to change management folks. So let's find ways to do that. I will look forward to doing that, to connecting um, um, all across the globe with uh, through the ACMP and um, just with wonderful people like you and podcasts like this to share the change management uh, message, which is, you know, it starts with the people. And we can lead change with uh, a loving approach, believe it or not. It is the most effective way, in my humble opinion. And I think you feel the same way. So thank you so much, Mr. Rich Bachelor, for being on the Love and Leadership Program with us today. It has been our joy and our pleasure. Thank you so very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have the conversation with you and give me the freedom to say what I say as well. So I appreciate that. And thank you for tuning in to the Love and Leadership Podcast. And be sure to subscribe and like and share this episode and hit that notifications button so you don't miss out on a single thing. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that it inspired you to help the people in your organization experience change in a whole new, yes, loving way that helps them become the best version of themselves through the change process. 
Remember that leading with love is a superpower that transforms the world around us. So let's go out there and make a difference, one love and act at a time. I'm Dr. Beth Merkel, and I can't wait to connect with you again on the next episode of Love and Leadership. This podcast was made possible by the College of St. Mary, offering a fast-track opportunity for professionals to achieve a master's degree in organizational leadership online in just 12 months. Tailored for working individuals, our program paves the way for career advancement. Take the next stride in your journey with the College of St. Mary. Apply now at csm.edu slash msol and unlock your leadership potential today. Thank you for joining us on this incredible journey we call Love and Leadership. Now it's time for you to take action and unleash your true leadership potential. Here are four easy steps you can take today. Number one, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Number two, share. Share the love with your friends, colleagues, and fellow leaders. Number three, connect to our Love and Leadership community by clicking the link below. And finally, take the knowledge and wisdom that you've gained from this podcast and put it into action. The Love and Leadership podcast is more than just a podcast. It's a movement. Together, let's rewrite the leadership narrative and create a world where love, passion, and purpose thrive. I can't wait to see the incredible impact you'll make as a love and leader. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, lead on with love. A Huda Media Production.